Hey friends, so glad you hopped on to the Collide podcast. We have so much going on around here at Collide. Besides the podcast, I hope you will check out our blog and our online courses and our resources. And we have freebies if you hop on to wecollide.net. I today want to invite you into this interview I just had with Cynthia Cavanaugh. She's an award-winning author. She's written several books and Bible study books. She's a speaker. She's also the podcast host for the Soul Anchor podcast. She holds an MA in leadership. And it was an interesting conversation because she talks so much about the importance of influence and legacy and how our influence is our greatest asset. And yet so many of us doubt our influence. We talk about why in this interview. And I hope that you will hop on here and be inspired that you, friend, have influence and you can also leave a great legacy. Check it out and enjoy. The choices I make today are going to impact what my future is going to look like, but also it's going to impact the influence and the faithful influence that I'm going to have on those that I love, those closest to me, which is the priority. And so that's kind of where that legacy kind of was birthed, I think, is that I've I've thought about it. Probably it really took root probably in my late 20s, um, really coming to grips with the, the things I do today are going to make a difference for my tomorrow. Cynthia, I am so glad that you hopped on the Clyde podcast today and that we get to spend time together. There are so many things I want to ask you. You've done so much ministry work over the years, writing so many different things and speaking. And so I I have so many questions to fire at you. But first of all, I just want to thank you for hanging out with us today. Hey, it's great to hang out with you, Willow. So good to see you again. Yeah. Yeah, you recently came out with your latest Bible study book called The Godly Kings of Judah, Faithful Living for Lasting Influence. What inspired you to write this book? That's a great question. And it comes out in April. And uh, this April, what inspired me to write The Godly Kings of Judah was I have a real passion for uh, women, you know, kind of grabbing onto being influenced, re- recognizing that they are influencers in no matter what sphere they are, whether they are home with their their kids and, and serving their families or whether they're in the boardroom or whether they're at church, you know, whatever roles they have, whether they're on the mission field, all women have, we all have influence. And I believe it's one of our greatest assets. So when I was studying the Old Testament, I'm a big Old Testament fan. I love studying the Old Testament, love the history, love the narrative. So I just landed on thinking, I'm going to just study the Kings. And as I was reading through the Kings several years ago, both the books of Kings and Chronicles, I kind of picked up this thread. I was looking for this thread because there was 39 Kings And only eight of them, God said, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So I Mm. thought, okay, out of 39 kings, that excludes um, David and um, Solomon, but out of, and Saul, but out of 39 kings, you're looking at that and thinking, why did so many fall off the rails? And 
what was the key components or the key common denominators that kept these eight kings so that God, that this is what God spoke about them. So it fascinated me. So I decided to put together a smaller Bible study for my church at the time. And we just went through a few of them and the whole idea of just, you know, we want to have that lasting influence. We want to, what does it take to have that steadfastness, that faithfulness, so that we can have lasting influence and ultimately the legacy piece, right? Like we're all going to leave a legacy and we choose which kind of legacy we're going to leave. And it starts from the time really when we're conscious of making our own decisions and how they impact not only ourselves, but those around us. Hmm. I have so much I want to unpack there. First of all, influence. You bring up influence. I love that you say it's one of our greatest assets. A lot of women discount the influence that they have men to, but why do you think we do that? Why do we discount that we have influence? I think that some of the reason we do that because we are fight against our own identity, our identity in Christ. We don't believe at times that we, for whatever reason, whether it be woundedness or hurt or just even what the world tells us, you know, that we have to live up to this certain standard of beauty and achievement and all of this. And so I think we fight against that because we struggle with who we are in Christ. We struggle with believing what God says about us from his word, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he loves us with an everlasting love, that he promises to be with us, you know, in season and out season. And I think women are, we're hard on ourselves because we have a broad range of things that we do, many hats. And so we don't believe that we can have influence because we struggle with our identity in Christ if that makes sense. Yeah. So you were looking at the Kings, you were studying, and it's interesting. You said eight out of 39. My math is not always so great, but I think that might be around one in five Kings that the Bible says they did what was right. And you wanted to know what were the common denominators that were present in these Kings' lives that made them have such an impactful, good, godly influence. What were some of those common denominators? Well, some of them were, uh, they were obedient. They actually, very simple, not necessarily profound, but they, but they did what God asked them to do. They mm-hmm. put away the foreign gods. They tore down the idolatrous practices that happened at that time in the land of Judah. And um, they trusted God. They practiced wisdom. They listened to the prophets that came at the time or were alive at the time who were the ones that told them truth, that God gave messages to the prophets, to the kings. They listened. Um, They very simply, they loved God with all of their heart, their mind and soul. Now, mind you, out of those eight kings, not all of them necessarily finished well or did exactly what God asked them to do. Mm-hmm. So we really see in studying those eight kings that God is the faithful one, right? That that that's what matters him to the most is our obedience and our faithfulness. We don't have to have a perfect life. We don't have to be free of mistakes, 
but the fact that we're willing to trust him and renew our faith through repentance and obedience. That's what he says. I believe when I studied the Kings, that's why God said he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. You know, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. Thank goodness, right? (laughs) Yeah, thank goodness. You, You teach on five myths holding your influence captive. What are those? That's a really good question. Um, that was a book I wrote almost 10 years ago. And it was a it was a book that I wanted women to understand, to kind of step into their influence, and in particular, uh, women who would see themselves as leaders or who we might call as a leader, a small group leader, um, a leader at a school. You know, we all lead in some kind of a way. So one of the myths um, that I talk about is that I am not enough right? And, and kind of countering that with God is enough for us. I'm not enough, or I, it's not the right time, or I don't have the time to do what God's asked me to do. So that's a, a couple of, of them. I actually, Willow, when you've written a few books, you have to look at what you actually wrote. <laughs> so off the top of my head, I would have to bookshelf. Open to page sixteen. Let's see what it says. Yeah, I've had that happen. Um, but just some of the myths that women struggle with are a big one is I'm not enough, right? I think, and that mm-hmm. goes back to having our identity secure in Christ and believing what God says about us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think so many women can resonate with feeling like they're not enough and how that holds them captive. I know it's held me captive in the past. And even sometimes now where you convince yourself that you don't have what it takes and you start looking at other people who seem like they have something more than you, better than you, they're more gifted and you compare yourself and it truly does hold back your influence and your purpose and your calling and the things you could do on earth to make this place a better place and to bring glory to Jesus because you're so in your head believing these lies, you know? Yes. And that's another myth that's in the book as well, is that God can't use me because of my past. And Mm -hmm. so women will just shut down and, and think that they can't be influencers because what happened in their past, whether it was something that was done to them or, um, some big mistake they made, that really the enemy can use that to paralyze women. I've seen that happen over and over again. And of course, you know, we know the familiar story in the Bible of uh, when Jesus met the Samaritan woman and he revealed to her, she didn't even spill the beans. He, he kind of said, I know about you. I know about you, girl. I know how many husbands you've had. I know everything that's wrong. I know why you're here in the middle of the day drawing uh, the water because it's so hot, because I know the ridicule that's, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but, mm-hmm. but, but yet Jesus, because she believed him and be, had faith in him, you know, God used her to be an evangelist for the whole town after that. You know, mm-hmm. he told me everything I ever, he knew all about me. And this is the true Jesus in the flesh, the Messiah, the promised Messiah. So that's, I love that story because it's so redeeming for all of us that. And it's such a lie that God can't use us because of our past. Such a lie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that 
that collision with Jesus too, because he goes out of his way to meet this woman who has gone from man to man to man to man. And like you say, she was one of the first evangelists. She changed her entire town. I mean, how unlikely is that? I'm sure she struggled to believe that she could be used to do anything amazing. And then she was used, her whole village came, there was a revival because of the transformation that took place in her life. And I love that you're empowering women to know that they have influence, that they can make a difference. You talk a ton about legacy. And I'm kind of curious, at what age or season did you yourself begin to think about your own legacy? And why did legacy start to become important to you? That's a great question. One of the it's one of my core values. And I I believe one of the main reasons is, is because of sitting at the feet of my grandparents and hearing their faith stories. And I am a firm believer in storytelling. We need to tell stories, our faith stories to our kids, to anyone that will listen. <laughs> we can hold them mm-hmm. captive of um, those faith stories. And it's because of hearing those faith stories. I'm first generation born here in the United States. And my grandparents and my mother and her siblings endured. They were 27 years being homeless. They fled. You know, my mother grew up much of her early years in a bomb shelter. So all this trauma and holding on to Jesus, my grandmother praying for God to show her where to find some food because her family was starving. And just so I heard how the faithfulness of God over and over in my grandparents' life. And so that planted a seed in my young heart. And so, and I was always that kind of a kid that would say, when I was 10, I'd say, I wonder what I'll be like when I'm 20. I wonder what I'll be like when I'm 30. I wonder what it'll be like when I'm an old woman, you know? And that kind of instilled in me the idea of the choices I make today are going to impact what my future is going to look like, but also it's going to impact the influence and the faithful influence that I'm going to have on those that I love, those closest to me, which is the priority. And so that's kind of where that legacy kind of was birthed, I think, is that I've, I've thought about it, probably it really took root, probably in my late 20s, um, really coming to grips with the, the things I do today are going to make a difference for my tomorrow. Because I had a grandmother that did not make good choices. And she died when I was three. But she left a pretty tragic um, past, and I saw how that impacted my father in particular and his own brokenness. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had this contrast of these two grandmothers, and I began to understand that my legacy is a choice. I can either allow my pain or my hurt or my woundedness, which my one grandmother did, to drive me further away from God and medicate myself with this is what she did with alcohol, or I can allow my pain, like my grandmother suffered incredible hardship, had every reason to hate God, to be resentful, but she turned to God and allowed God to meet her in her pain. And she's, there's hardly a day that goes by Willow. She's been gone for several years that I don't think about her influence on my life and her impact. So that's the gift that I want to give to my kids and to my now my grandkids and anybody that God allows me to share and minister to. Hmm. What an impact your grandparents had on you and kind of a 
interesting experience to almost look at both sides and see sort of the difference in legacy. It's interesting to me because as you're talking about legacy, and I don't know the definition of the word, but I'm just thinking about how legacy seems like this this present intentionality because of what you want to leave in the future. Yes, exactly. You know, and and it seems like a lot of people get really carried away with what's right in front of them. So they spend a lot of time just juggling and hustling and trying to figure out what they need to do right now or playing catch up or, you know, chasing after the things that they feel called to chase after. And then they wake up one day. It's kind of why I asked you what season you started thinking about it. You started thinking about it at a fairly young age compared to, I think, a lot of people where they get so caught up in the now and then they wake up maybe in their 40s or 50s or, you know, and they start to think, man, what kind of legacy am I going to leave? But legacy is something we leave later. But the thing we leave starts now, right? Right. And I think the key word that you pointed out is intentional. And Yes, I had an awareness of it when I was younger, but you know, it's really taken hold in a significant way now. My son talks about, our oldest son talks about how our life is divided into about four quarters. You know, I grew up, I raised, we raised all boys, so everything's sports, right? Football is big. <laughs> so four quarters. So being intentional about which quarter you are in your life and knowing that you're in a season when you're in the season of life I'm in, I'm really in the fourth quarter and Mm. however many years God gives me. Um, And so of course that intentionality is going to grow, is going to be more right in front of me to make sure that, because I know I'm not going to live forever. Right. And, but yeah, when you're in your first quarter, you know, you're growing up or your second quarter, say from between your twenties and forties and then forties to sixties, there's a lot of intentionality that can happen there too. You might not think about legacy, but mm-hmm. there's things that we're doing, our decisions that we're making that will um, come back to us in the next quarter. Trust me, they do. They come back to you. What we build, what we plant, what we sow right now, which is a biblical principle, will come back to us at some point. And so I want to be intentional in each season of my life so that when I face the next season, that I'm able to remain faithful to what God's asked me to do, that I can remain steadfast in Him. And that's not always easy. I mean, I've fallen off the rails lots, Willow. I've struggled with many different things. and um, But I think coming back to knowing that God really cares most about our faithfulness to Him Um, We look at David, for instance. I mean, he was a man after God's own heart, but yet he was a murderer. He was an adulterer. He was a bad parent for for a season. And yet God still called him a man after his own heart. And why is he elevated above all the other kings? He's elevated because he never succumbed to idolatry. He never put he never made that a practice of his life. And I believe that's why God called him a man after his own heart. And he was repentant, right? Like he genuinely repented for his sins. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting to listen to you talk about 
the four quarters of our lives. It's cute that you're, you have boys and everything sports, but, but truly kind of makes me think about this year, my mom passed away and it was unexpected. I always get a little emotional when I talk about it. Of course. I'm so sorry. That's so hard. Thank you. But she was 74 and my husband and I were chatting one day and we realized that his mom died when she was 74. And, you know, my husband's in his early 50s. I'm in my late 40s. And we started to realize, man, we have maybe if we're lucky, we don't know. I don't know if I have tomorrow. I know I have today right now in this moment with you. But if I'm lucky, I have 25 years left. If we, we have about 25 years, a quarter of our life left. If we well, actually, it'd be a third, but 25 years left of our life if we lived to the same age our mothers did when they passed away. And when all of a sudden you start doing that kind of math, yes. legacy gets real, real. When you it go, if I'm lucky, yes. I have 25 years of my life left. That means I don't put off living. I don't put off purpose. I don't put off getting right in relationships. I don't put off faithfulness. I don't put off my dreams. I don't put off building for the legacy. I want to leave my children and other people for another 10 years, another 15 years. I have now and now is all I have. Yes. You know, but it sometimes takes those moments where they almost turn the heat up on your life and you realize if you want to talk legacy, you better get you better giddy up because it time is now. When I think for so many for you you guys, your family splits it up in quarters, which is so interesting, but you're not thinking legacy first quarter not even really second quarter. And it's almost like you start thinking it when you feel like, wow, time is slipping, slipping out of your hands, you know? Yes. And I think in the first and second, let's focus on the second quarter, like the twenties to 40 ish marker. Um, you know, you're building a legacy and you don't even realize it at, at times. Right. I mean, that's usually when, Women, if they choose to get married, they get married during that season. They might have their children. They're building their family. Um, they're building into their kids. They're building into the community. They're building into the church. They're building into friendships during that quarter, that second quarter. That's where a lot of foundation is laid for the next part of your life, right? And And so we may not even be conscious. I don't know that I was conscious of it all the time. I could just look back now and see, yeah, this really was important to me about being intentional. I thought about it more because I think because of my grandparents, I lost my grandparents in my second quarter, you know, when I was almost 40. Mm -hmm. And so I think I felt a responsibility to carry on their legacy, to pass the baton on, to make sure that what I like to say, what I like to tell people that what I want to do is that my influence will outlast my life, mainly with my grandchildren and my kids, mm-hmm. that my influence will outlast my life, that when I'm gone, that that's what my grandkids will remember about me. My kids will remember about me that I was intentional about them mm-hmm. uh, needing to follow Jesus, to loving Jesus, to making everything about Jesus, their life, their decision-making, and that they can look at my life and not see it's perfect, made lots of mistakes, um, but to know that that was my goal to be faithful. Mm. 
I think that's such a good question to even pause and just say out loud, which is, will your influence outlive your life? And when you think about the influence that will outlive your life, is it the one that you want to leave as your legacy? Yes. That's exactly a really important choose. Yeah. Because question. in all reality, our achievements, you know, like I've written several books, but you know, when I'm gone or, you know, even in the next five years, people aren't going to remember. I mean, my kids aren't even going to remember. My grandkids, they're not going to, they probably won't remember. I mean, they I might mean, heck, you don't remember. You yes, don't remember. I don't remember. I can't remember the, five, the whole five minutes, right? But what, I, what I'm saying is that's going to, you know, that's not my biggest influence is that I've written those books. I write books for others, for the readers, for the message that God has given me. That perfectly mm-hmm. God will use that in that time, in that moment, in that season to impact. So I write to make a difference. Um, but when it comes to my own personal legacy for my family and my kids and those closest, those that do life with me every day, they're not going to pull one out and say, oh, yeah, grandma said this or mom said this or my best friend, she said this. You know, they're going to remember the faithfulness and the way that I made them feel, the way I treated other people, how I responded, how I reacted, how I handled hard things in life, you know, mm-hmm. my faithfulness. Hmm. You say that the practice of decision making is vital to our legacy. Can you invite us into what you mean and teach us a little bit about how to practice good decision making when it comes to legacy? That's a really, really good question. And I, I'm still learning on that. Um, I think practicing good decision making as it relates to our legacy is stopping and taking a breath, taking a pause and saying, how is what my choice I'm going to make today going to impact my family 10 years from now? If it's a big decision, you know, um, even in a small, you know, it's usually a combination of a lot of small decisions (laughs) that can get Mm -hmm. us in trouble. So not being, I think the practice of slowing down, everything is so fast. We have drive through this, you know, you can five steps, five quick ways you can cut the cost of this. Here we can make your meals in 30 minutes or less, you know, so everything's condensed. And, but I think when we make decisions, we need to stop and pause. First of all, we need to stop and pause. We need to pray and ask God, is this what you want me to do? Is this something I need to step into? Um, And then we can make a plan and then keep praying over that plan and seeing and kind of testing the water. So I would say, pause, pray, and then plan. And and in that, you're kind of testing the waters in that. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is the pausing. I don't like to wait. I'm not sure anybody really does. I think when we, especially when we feel God's leading us a certain direction, we really need to pause and ask ourselves, how is this going to impact my current situation, the people, the impact, the people around me, and then try to make the best decision about that. I can, when I was um, in my thirties, I was leading worship at our church and our kids were pretty small and so it was a big deal every week because we had two services and we had, we practiced on Sunday morning and my husband is a pastor. So, you know, I basically, he left before I did it. I dragged the kids there and it was a lot. 
it was a lot every single Sunday and because they were so young and it, and we were there like most of the day and we would just get home and it was exhausting. And at one point I had to ask myself, is this really the right season for me to do this right now with these? Cause they were so small. They were like, mm-hmm. one of them was, I think two, two, two years old or younger than two. And, and my older son, <clears throat> cause he was so much older, became the guy, you know, taking care of them in the nursery at seven in the morning while we were practicing, rehearsing. And that wasn't really fair to him either. <laughs> so I had to take a step back and and ask God, is this the right season, the right time for me to do this right now? And I actually pulled back. I just trimmed back. I still did some worship, but I wasn't the main point person in that time because, because I didn't have, I didn't have another, we didn't have a two parent supporting each other in that. Kevin had his own responsibilities. So one of us needed to be on deck with the kids. And so, and it just, it just needed to, so I had to reevaluate is what I'm saying how I had to stop and take a step back. Was it wrong what I did in stepping into it? No, not necessarily. I felt that's what God wanted me to do. But God showed me in the middle of it that I really needed to take a long step back and a pause. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a pause where you realized that you needed to let go of people's sort of expectations of yes. you because you signed up for something or because you're a pastor's wife or whatever it was to instead be intentional about lasting legacy with your kids. And yeah, it's hard to get there without the pause. It is. And, it, and, and you know, everybody's wired to do, to juggle things differently. And just at the time, I mean, I was very organized. I could do it. They were in the car. They had their snacks, everything. But their little spirits didn't do well on Sunday. And I realized not only that, but as a pastor's family, there's so many pastor's kids that resented being drugged Mm. around so much like that, that I realized that Kevin and I discussed that this wasn't a good thing for our family right at mm-hmm. the time for me to be that heavily involved at that season. Um, and so that's just a little example. Yeah. Yeah. I love the pause, pray plan, and then keep praying. You host the podcast Soul Anchor, and I'd love to hear why you think our lives need an anchor? I mean, I feel like there's an obvious answer, but what do you see happening in our lives that make kind of the wind and the waves of our lives go crazy that necessitates an anchor? And what are the things we hold on to instead of God as our anchor? Yes, I feel like we, you know, it seems like everything is ramped up significantly in our world over the last few years. I don't know if you... (laughs) have that sense, but it feels Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of heartache, a lot of heavy, a lot of woundedness, a lot of hurt, a lot Mm -hmm. of disappointment in our um, leaders and churches and all kinds of things. I'm not trying to paint a blurry picture. All I'm trying to say is life is hard. It can be very hard at different seasons in our life. And we're witnessing this by virtue of when we watch or scroll through social media, I think we see a lot of hurt and a lot of um, hard things. And so 
in the midst of a storm, that's the best way I can relate it to, is we have to have something to hang on to. But in the midst of hanging on to something, we have to have prepared ourselves or be intentional about what we've stored in the bottom of our boat. So when the wave com- when the waves come and the wind comes, that we can throw out our anchor. We know what our anchor is. We know that we've prepared as much as we can. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be hard. It doesn't mean we're going to be crying into our pillow at night. It doesn't mean we need to go see our therapist more often. <laughs> but when we have an anchor, we know that we're going to get through the storm. And, mm-hmm. and that anchor, I'm passionate about God's word is that it's his word, really, that's going to become our anchor, our understanding who God is, his character, understanding who Jesus is, and how much he loves us and how much he promises to be with us in the storm. Um, that's what we have to hold on to. And I know that um, for me, Willow, and the hard things that I've walked through, sometimes sometimes I don't want to put, I don't want to cling on to the anchor. So I'll go to my go-tos. I'll go to, I'm going to maybe shop or spend too much money, you know, to try to fill that, like this hurts so bad in life. I just need something to make me feel better Uh instead of running to, uh, the arms of Jesus and knowing that he is my anchor. Right. So no, I'm not saying anything wrong with shopping and buying yourself something nice. Of course, there is nothing wrong with that. But when it becomes the focus of, of how we medicate ourselves, our pain Uh to get out of our pain, then that's replacing the only anchor that's really going to sustain us. And that is God in his word and who he is. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I love that you are spending your life continuing to be faithful to the call of God and your writing content that's changing lives, calling all of us to hold on to that anchor to grab hold of God's call to be an influence and to leave a legacy. And I appreciate you sharing all that today. As we come to a close, I'm just curious for women listening who are doubting their influence, doubting that they've done enough to leave a good legacy. What's your encouragement for them today? My encouragement is that we don't have to do enough. It's not about being enough. It's not about doing enough. If there's anything I've learned in the last 12 years in particular, been some really hard seasons, is that that's not what God asks of us. That's what we think he asks of us, but we don't, we just have to be, we just have to be be in Christ, be in who he asks us to be. And that's just loving him and being obedient to him and listening to him. And again, that pausing and that praying and that planning and that praying again. Um, so that would be my, my encouragement. And my encouragement is, is just don't beat yourself up. I think we're really good. Christian women are really good at beating ourselves up. Well, mm-hmm. a lot of women are good at beating ourselves up. And we think that God is up there, like he has this big chart and he's just making incredible notes on us. And when we don't feel like we're enough, we failed with, we didn't read our Bible enough, or we didn't pray hard enough, or 
you know, our pain is so heavy. We just ignored him for the day. We feel that God's just going to beat us up. And he is so gracious, Willow. I mean, that's the one thing I was in awe after doing all this research and all this study on the Kings and Chronicles in the books of the Old Testament of how incredibly faithful and loving and how many chances that God, and he's so, he just cries and pleads, pleads to us so much. He just wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to be with us. He wants to help us. He, that's what I saw over and over again in the midst of like, how could you do that? How could you, how could you treat God like that when he just created this miracle for you? But but God still came back again and again in his steadfastness and his love and his mercy. And that's what that's what my prayer is, encouragement, that, that all would we would remember that that would draw us back to him in knowing that he can help us get through anything. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for reminding us who our anchor is today. And thank you for hopping on the Collide podcast. I know there's going to be listeners who want to check out all the things you've written. And how can they do that? Well, you can go, they can go to my website, CynthiaCavanaugh.com. And I have some free resources on there. One of the resources I have right now is five ways to kind of thrive in life's grit. And I introduce one of the kings and the the godly kings of, of Judah um, Bible study through that. But just sometimes we just need something to hold on to in the middle of what we're going through and how to kind of develop that grit in us. But yeah, they can find me at CynthiaCavanaugh.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram and a little bit on Twitter, not so much, but kind of mostly between Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, I'd love to have you connect with me. I'd love to have, I'm doing a series right now, Knowing God Through the Old Testament. If the Old Testament scares you, you're kind of afraid of it. We're kind of going through four different studies this year, and we'll be doing the Godly Kings of Judah sometime in April, starting that. So if that's of interest to you, you can find that also at my website. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Cynthia, for hanging out today. Thanks for having me, Willow. It's been great. Absolutely. We'll catch up soon. Friend, I hope that that interview blessed you as much as it blessed me. I took a ton of notes. I don't know about you, but one of my favorite things that Cynthia brought up was how her family talks about life in four quarters. Super cute that her sons play sports and so they break up life in four quarters. But what struck me most about that is that you and I are in in one of those quarters. And the charge and the challenge to begin to think about the kind of influence we not only want to have now, but the kind of legacy we want to leave later, all depends upon the intentionality and the decisions we make today. And I loved that. I don't know what quarter you're in, but I hope that you feel fully tapped into God's purpose for your life. I hope that you sense His faithfulness. I hope that you are not battling the lie that tells you that you don't have influence because you do. 
And so as you uh, hop off this podcast today, I hope that you check out a few things we have for you. We have a freebie. It's a, a battling the lies you believe about yourself exercise. And if you're believing some lies about yourself today, hop on to our website, weekly.net and grab that so that you can win the battle of believing those lies and instead hold on to the truth that God's got you that not only is he your anchor, but he has called you to influence and make a dent in this world. And if you want to sign on and grab hold of our latest exciting online course, Women of Impact, talk about sitting underneath teachers. We have about, uh, I think, 50-some teachers in that course who are doing amazing things in the world, having influence and impact and making a difference. And they are from all sectors and walks of life, and they're making a dent in the business world, the nonprofit sector, ministry, at home, you name it. And that could inspire you and your influence and legacy, friend. I hope you'll keep colliding this week. I hope that you'll know that God is your anchor. And when everything else changes, when the wind and the waves begin to blow you and push you around, that you'll know who always remains true and faithful. And that is your Jesus. Keep colliding and we'll catch you next week.